want to talk first about essential ingredients, right? There are essential ingredients, things that you must have, right? You must have fuel for your car, right? You can't just decide, well, I'm not going to put fuel in my car, right? You can't. I remember we used to have a van, one of the ones from the WTA, uh, one of their specialized vehicles. We bought one after they didn't use it anymore, and so I would drive kids to Awana in that. And I remember driving home, I was pushing it, and I was pushing it, and I had, I don't know, a bunch of kids in there, and I ran out of gas on Sunset. And there's nothing worse than running out of gas with kids. What's happening? Why are we pulled over? Did you run out of gas? Are we out of gas? What's going to happen? And you're like, it's fine. It's all fine. You know, there's just this added and uh, called, a, called a neighbor and... He brought us some gas when we got home. But you can't just, whoop, oh boy. That's a good whoops. <laughs> Pastor, Pastor Mark always says that people who do mic drops have never paid for a mic. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Pastor. That wasn't supposed to do that. Okay. That was not part of the sermon either. Okay, so, got to have fuel. You can't just decide not to have fuel. We got to have oxygen, right? You can't just decide I don't need oxygen anymore. And when I, w- I would, uh, I used to challenge myself in the pool. My high school had a pool, and we'd swim. And I used to want to see how far could I swim before I needed air. And my pool was twenty-five meter, and I think I got to where I could go out a length and part way back. I don't think I ever got a full lap, a full down and back where I didn't need air. I don't know why I tried to do that. I just did. And so I remember you'd get to the wall and push and start coming back, and your body is fighting for it. You just feel this like, I just feel like my body trying to force me to take in air, and you're resisting and swimming, trying to see if I can get there, and you just feel your body saying, you need air. Go up. You need air now, almost like it's going to just demand it. You can't just say... I don't need air, right? It's essential. You must have oxygen. You must have fuel for the engine. It won't just, you can't just decide against it. And that was what we're going to see today in terms of prayer, that faith is essential for prayer. You have to have faith for prayer to even make sense, for prayer to even work. Faith is essential for prayer. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, it's a very nice, concise definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith has words like trust, confidence involved. So if you're assured for something you're hoped for, it's something you don't have. It's something you're expecting to happen. So we have faith that when you're in Christ and you draw your last breath on this earth, you go through a doorway and arrive in heaven. I can't see that. I haven't been there. But I'm assured. I'm confident. I'm trusting that's the case. There's a conviction of things not seen. I've not seen Jesus risen from the dead with my Earth eyes, right? I haven't seen that, but I, am con- I have a conviction, I have an assurance that that is the reality. 
that is the truth, that Jesus is the risen Son of God, reigning at the right hand of the Father. I have trusting that. I'm confident in that. I have faith. And we need to have faith for prayer to even work. We need to be confident that we're talking to God, trusting that he is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he can do, and we're believing the answer to those prayers, whether we see them or not, right? We are trusting. So you must have faith for prayer to work. So what I want to look at today is three stories of prayer and see how faith was or was not present in these three stories, the three biblical accounts. So we're going to look at three stories of prayer, and I've got kind of a tagline for each one so that we can see how faith either was or wasn't present. So the first story's tagline is, this is just what we do. These will make sense when I give you the story, but I'm giving it to you ahead of time. This is just what we do is the first story. The second story is, you're not going to fool me. You're not going to fool me. And the third story is, just say the word. Just say the word. So that's the taglines. They'll make sense when we go through them. But the first story is, this is just what we do. So that story is found in the book of Acts chapter 12. If you want to go to Acts chapter 12, uh, the little tagline for that story is, this is just what we do. Acts chapter 12, this is just what we do. So we'll read a chunk here, and then uh, towards the end we'll really see this come into play. So Acts chapter 12, verse 1. It says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Right, So this church is born, but it's hitting the rough waters of persecution. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So that's one of the, one of the apostles, James the apostle. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. So it's during a feast, unleavened bread and Passover to go together. We'd say it at Easter time. So during a feast, he locks Peter up. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So we got the story there. Peter's arrested, four squads of soldiers. It was four because they would take turns especially going through the watches of the night. Four groups of four. Two would be chained to him or him to them, and two would be guarding the door. And then the shift would switch, and another four would come, and shift would switch, and another four would come. And Aren't you glad you don't have to be chained to him? Sorry. Okay. So anyway, four squads. But the church is doing what? Earnestly praying, let Peter out. Release him. What do, you, what do they think is going to happen? Probably the same thing that happened to James, right? He just killed James. It made everybody happy. And this is James the Apostle. The James that appears in the rest of the letter is James, the Lord's half-brother. But this was James the Apostle, John's brother. So that's what they're doing. They're praying. They're earnestly, fervently praying. Let him out. Don't let him be killed. Let Peter out. Okay, verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, right, bound with two chains, so there's two of them, 
And sentries before the door were guarding the prison, right? Groups of four. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him. <laughs> this is where I think angels have fun. Like The bright light's not working. Ah, fine. <laughs> struck him on the side. Not a gentle tap. Maybe if you've woken up teenagers, you understand. Uh, struck him on the side, woke him up, saying, Get up quickly! And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought that he was seeing a vision. You ever have those dreams that you think, This is really happening? But he's, he's actually doing it, but thinks he's dreaming. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out. Isn't that awesome? Just whoop, blows open. They went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Isn't that awesome? Angel leads him right out. You'd think getting hit on the side of the head would have alerted him it was actually an angel, but he had to get all the way out of the city. So when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Okay? The church is earnestly praying. They're in the middle of the night praying, right? Remember, this is in the night. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said, you're out of your mind. But You're out of your mind. It's the word for you're insane. It's the word for you're intoxicated. You're mad. You're crazy. You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers then he departed and went to another place. Okay, um, this, is the, this is just what we do. You're praying earnestly in the night for Peter to be released. He's knocking at the door, and your answer is, you're insane. <laughs> right? You're crazy. You're intoxicated. You cannot be in your right mind. We're praying for Peter to be released. We're earnestly praying for Peter to be released. Peter is standing outside, and their answer is, you're crazy. What did they think was going to happen, right? And then I love when they come up with the other answer. Well, it must be his angel. Well, that's actually easier to believe. Peter's not there. There's an angel somehow representing Peter that's at the door. I think they're just trying to make her go away. You just saw his angel. I don't even know if that's a thing. Like, do you have a lookalike angel? I don't think that's a thing, but... That's what they say. But isn't it, what are they doing in this prayer meeting? And it's this idea that prayer is just what you do. There's a problem. 
We know we should gather. We know we should pray. We're dutifully praying about it, but we don't actually expect it to happen. Right? Have you ever, is that sometimes prayer? We're dutifully praying. They're, it's at night. I mean, they might be praying through the night, earnestly praying, it said, and the answer is knocking on the door, and they say, well, I mean, God's probably not, he's probably going to get killed just like James got killed. And, and sometimes we pray, and it's just what we do. We know we should pray. We pray out loud. We might earnestly pray, but we don't actually think God's going to do it. You ever pray like that? I mean, this is a big deal. It wasn't like I'm just praying that his skin knee gets better. He's locked in jail between four guards. I mean, it's a big prayer. It's a big prayer. But there's this idea that we don't actually think it's going to happen. We don't actually believe that God's going to deliver him. And when he's knocking at the door, we'd rather say his angel is at the door than like, well, why shouldn't he be knocking at the door? We're praying and we're expecting it. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. God's going to take care of Peter. God's going to deliver him. He's going to get out. But it's easy to make prayer. This is just what we do. It's a spiritual discipline. It's right to pray. We should pray. God may or may not do anything. We're not going to have high expectations. But that's not really praying in faith, is it? It's praying out of obedience. It's praying out of duty. But there was this sense of, but we're not actually expecting anything to happen. We're not actually convicted that God's going to do it. We're not really thinking it's going to work. It's just what we do. So that was the first story. Is prayer just what we do? Or is there faith? Second story is that you're not going to fool me. You're not going to fool me. We need to jump over to Mark chapter 6. So this is our second story. You're not going to fool me. Jump over to Mark chapter 6. We're going to see this element of prayer play out. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Mark 6, verse 1. And this is, you're not going to fool me. So Mark 6, verse 1 says, He went away, Jesus, he went away from there and came to his hometown. By the way, he just healed the guy with a legion of demons that no one could tie up. That just happened. Then he healed a woman who had a bleeding issue for 12 years. And then he went over to a lady's house, where a woman's, a man's house where his daughter just died and he just rose her from the dead. That's what he just got done doing, right? Healed the legion of demons, healed the woman with a medical issue that no one could fix, and rose a girl from the dead, right? Just, you know, your average day with Jesus. So then, verse six, chapter 6, he went away from there and came to his hometown, Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath day, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. That's the same word that they had over there in Acts when Peter's actually at the door. They were astonished. They were amazed, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? And how are such mighty works done by his hands? They're just shocked. Like, I can't believe this. We can't believe it. I mean, they're like, I, I had speech class with him. He was nothing like that, right? He would hardly get up and talk. And now look at him. He's in front of everybody. And they're just shocked. They can't believe it, right? Verse, uh, verse 3, is not this the carpenter? Right? This kid, didn't he put my deck on last summer? Like, what is this? He wasn't doing this. 
the son of Mary, and the brother, like we know his family, Mary's boy, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So they started kind of amazed, like, wow, we never, really, that guy? We never thought he would do it. And then they ended offended. That's where we get our word for scandal or scandalized, right? They thought the scandal is like a trick, a trap, right? You get 8,000 of them in your email box every week, right? It's a trick. I'm not going to fall for that. It's a scandal. You're not going to fool me. You're not going to take me in, right? This is, they were, they're offended. They're like, what kind of trick is this? You might have fooled those people over there, but we're your hometown. We saw you grow up. We saw you do this and that, and don't come in here with this stuff. So they're offended. They're scandalized. Verse 4, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Isn't that amazing? He, he's actually limited. He could do no mighty work there. He just, what, he just left the legion of demon guy, the woman who couldn't be healed, just raised a dead girl. He goes home, they're like, ha, 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 no, you're not doing any carnival tricks here, Jesus. We know you. We know your family. We know where you're from. Well, you're not fooling us. So he could do no mighty work, a few sick people, and he marveled. So marvel is the idea to be wondered, to have amazement, and it can be positive or negative, right? It can be, you can be, just be amazed at a sunset and go, wow, how did that happen? How could that be? You can marvel and wonder at something, or you could see how somebody constructed some amazing, you know, craft work and teeny little pieces of wood, and you're like, how could you even make your fingers do that? And just be marveled. But there's also this kind of marveling where you're like, how could you miss this? The Son of God is standing in front of you, and the stories are going everywhere around the whole region. I just, just left Jairus' house, just raised his daughter from the dead, and you think it's a trick. Like, how could you miss that? How could you not believe? And he marveled. So that is the, you're not going to fool me. You're not going to fool me. I'm not going to be taken in. And sometimes I think that enters into prayer. We don't want to be fooled. We don't want to be disappointed. We don't want to be let down. We don't want to believe too much because I don't want it to not work. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to get my hopes up. And so I'm just going to keep it over there. I'm not going to be taken in. I'm not going to be one of those people that really is counting on God to do anything. I'm just going to take care of it. You're not going to fool me. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And some people say, you know, I'm just going to stick with what I can see, what I can do, what I know. I'm not going to be taken in. I'm not going to be made a fool. I'm not going to get my hopes up. So that's story number two. And the third story is, oh wait, that's, you're not going to fool me. Story number three is, just say the word. Just say the word. So that's over in Luke chapter 7. Just say the word. We're looking at these three stories of faith because faith is essential for prayer. 
Luke 7, verse 1. Luke 7, verse 1. So we want to see this one, Luke 7, verse 1. It says, After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. That's a city he did a lot of miracles in. It's kind of his home base early in his ministry, Capernaum. Now, a centurion had a servant. A centurion is a Roman officer with a hundred troops, right? Centuries, where we get a hundred Right, sent century, that's the word for a hundred. So this is a an officer in charge of a hundred soldiers. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. So what a super generous centurion, a Roman soldier stationed in in Judea, stationed in this area, and he pays for a Jewish synagogue. He, He built it for them. So that's just... You know, mostly it was hostile between the Romans and the Jews, but this guy is gracious to the area he's patrolling and builds them a synagogue. So the Jewish leaders are saying, Jesus, you've got to help this guy. He's great to us. And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So he's saying, I'm a man under authority. Why didn't he say I'm a man with authority? I'm a man under authority because he understands the chain of command. He has a hundred soldiers. And this man reports to his officer. And if his officer tells him something, he does it. And that one reports to his officer. And somewhere down the line, they report to Caesar. So when this centurion tells his hundred guys what to do, it's as if Caesar gave him that instruction. I am under the authority of Caesar, under the Roman Empire. When I tell these hundred guys what to do, they just do it because I'm under the authority of Caesar. And he's saying, Jesus, I get it. You are under the authority of God. He probably underestimated a little bit. Not only is he under the authority of God, <laughs> he is God with all the authority. He had the idea right mostly. He didn't fully have the Godhead down, but he gets it. If Jesus says the word, it's as if God the Father says the word. Just like if I say the word, it's as if if Caesar says the word. Because I'm a man under authority. I get what it's like that when I speak, they have to answer. And when you speak, the power of God has to move. So, verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled. There's our word again. He was amazed, shocked. And the positive side... He marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that had followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. He says, I get it. 
You just have to say the word, and all the authority of God moves. But what I love in the story is Jesus didn't say the word, did he? He just has to think it. He doesn't even say the word. He doesn't say, boy, or a servant at the centurion's house, I command. He doesn't even say the word. He just has to think it. He just has to be in his mind, right? Just say the word. You have all the power. You have all the authority. If you say it, it has to happen. You don't even have to say it. You just have to think it, and it happens. And they show up, there's the guy better. That's the see. Jesus was shocked. He was shocked at the faith. He was shocked negatively at his hometown, like, really? You guys are going to miss all this. And then he was shocked positively, like, wow, this Roman guy gets it. He gets it. All he has to do is say the word. And that's the kind of faith we want to take to prayer. Right? Just say the word. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That guy had assurance. Just say the word. Think the word. The conviction, you have all the authority. Faith is essential for prayer, right? We're praying to the one with the full authority of heaven and earth, right? We're not, we're not praying to an underling. We're not talking to political figures. This is the creator, eternal word of God. And when we want to come to him with that faith, just say the word. Just say the word. We don't want to come... Just because it's duty, we definitely don't want to come thinking, I don't want to be fooled. We want to come to that, just just say the word. It's a little uncomfortable, though. Does this make anybody uncomfortable? Is anybody going, yeah, I've got like 15 scenarios where I'm not sure it worked? Anybody, anybody there? You can raise your hand or just think it. There's passages like this all through the Bible, and they can make us a little squirrely. Uh, I'll show you one here in Mark 11, you don't have to jump there, but the story was Jesus was walking by a fig tree. There was no fruit on it, so he curses it. Let's not let him out into Linden, right? The raspberries are not ripe yet. You don't wipe it out. But, uh, so, it says, so he curses the fig tree. Never have fruit again. So then the next day, Mark 11, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. I always want to qualify it. If if this is the case... If you're praying exactly according to God's will, if it's the thing he wants you to work out, I want to qualify it. And Jesus just doesn't. So I admit, it feels uncomfortable. It feels like I'm wielding God, and I'm not. And there's stories, like I prayed for this thing to happen, and that thing didn't happen. And so there's this sense of we just are left in this tension. Faith is essential to prayer. Jesus, unqualified, says pray and believe and and it's essential to pray. We've got to have faith. But I admit, sometimes I'm in category two, right? I don't want to be fooled. I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to be let down. It's hard to not stay there. But it's unqualified, right? Jesus said, say the word. 
trust in me. I'm not a man under authority. I'm the eternal God with authority. So we have to have this continual trust. I want to be praying story three all the time. Lord, just say the word. The thing is, we don't always get to say when. It might be that moment, but maybe it's not. But we, so faith, I think, has a, a friend called waiting. Faith has a friend called waiting. Let me show you a couple of quotes here from... Uh, from E.M. Bounds wrote a book called The Necessity of Prayer. He says, Faith is not an aimless act of the soul, but a looking to God and a resting upon His promises. Just as love and hope always have an objective, so also has faith. Faith is not just believing anything. It is believing God, resting in Him, Trusting in his word. So it's not wishful thinking. It's not positive thinking. I believe anything can happen, right? It's it's not just believing anything. It's believing God. I'm trusting God. I know he is the one that can just say the word. I know when I don't have faith, he marvels, right? He marvels at his hometown. Like, you're missing out. It's I'm going to trust and be confident that you're completely able to do all that you say you're going to do. I'm going to leave it there. This next one from him is that the same book, Faith Gives Birth to Prayer and Grows Stronger, Strikes Deeper, Rises Higher in the Struggles and Wrestlings of Mighty Petitioning. It's not always easy, is it? There's a, there's a struggle. Faith, here he quotes the Hebrews, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the assurance and realization of the inheritance of the saints. Faith, too, is humble and persevering. You saw that with the centurion. I'm not even worthy to have you come over. I, I don't, you can't, I'm, not, I'm not even worthy to have you in my house. So there isn't this sense where you march in, all right, God, here's the list. Do this, do this, do this. There's a humility. Thank you that I can pray. You don't have to answer anything. If I were to, you know, get what I deserved, you just wiped me out. So there's a huge humility. I'm asking, but you don't have to answer. I'm approaching, but you don't have to listen. So we don't wield God. He's not a tool in our hand. Right? We don't wield him. There's a humility and a persevering. I'm just going to keep asking. It can wait and pray. I think that's a big key to faith. We have to wait. It's not like, not every time do you get up from the prayer and it's answered. Sometimes, like at the prayer meeting at John Mark's house, like the answer was knocking at the door. Oh, that was nice. Other times, it might be longer. But there's a waiting. God's got it. God's got it. It can stay on its knees or lie in the dust. It is the one great condition of prayer. The lack of it lies at the root of all poor praying Feeble praying, little praying, unanswered praying. If we don't actually believe that he can do it, that he is listening, then we won't pray. We'll stop praying. Or it'll just be going through the motions prayer. So faith is essential for prayer. Waiting on God. Believing who he is and what he says. 
it's hard to wrestle that down. You know, sometimes you feel like it's, well, is it this thing I'm believing, believing, then I have a 30-second blip where I'm unsure, and then, well, it's all over again. I still don't think it really depends that much on us. But there's just this sense, I've given it to him. He can do all of these things. I'm asking him to do all these things. I'm believing he's going to do all these things, and I'm going to leave it there. And here's the reality. We have no other option. (laughs) We really have no other option than to trust God and ask him. Um, Pastor Mark sent me a podcast this week with a guy called Mark Sayers. He's an Australian, just brilliant thinker, Christian guy. But they were asking him questions about the pandemic and what do you do? And he said, it has brought us back to reality that we are not in control. We've had a pretty long and good run here in this country where things are smooth. Not for everybody, but for a lot of people, we've had a smooth, stable economy. Like you've never thought that when I go to the hospital, they'd say, we don't have room for you. Like, no, that happens in other countries. That doesn't happen here. We never thought that. You never thought you'd go and Walmart would have empty shelves. Like, no, no, that happens in other countries. That doesn't happen here. No, it's happening here. Right? Things are not working smoothly. Things aren't working right. And we've had this kind of veneer of that there's other options. Well, I can trust God or I can just save my money. You know, I can trust God or I can make sure we have this political party. Like, I have options. And that's actually an illusion. We don't really have options. We're not really in control. We, we have no control over an earthquake. And was it Tonga that can send a wave over here? We got no control over that. We have no control over raging forest fires wiping things out. Like we, we can't control that. We can't control the weather. We can't control we can't control one country lining up on the border of another country. We think we can, but we can't. Right? We, it's really brought this the world right now. He says it's actually becoming more normal. It's becoming more normal. You read the Old Testament, you're like, yeah, there was disease all over the place. You look through history, the plagues just devastated Europe. That was a big part. Even in Roman times, there was massive illnesses and plagues. It was normal. Things were messed up. And so it's sort of like here in America, we're like getting brought back to like normal because the whole world's under a curse. Right? And there's an evil one. And there's hostile powers. And we're not in control. And things don't work right. But we've kind of come used to thinking we have other options. Well, I can do it this way, and I can control these things, and I'll make sure it all works like that. And we're starting to see reality. No, we don't have control over that. That's been an illusion. But we can pray. We know who is in control, right? We're deceiving ourselves otherwise. That's why we have this beautiful thing. We can trust God. We must trust God, and then we get to pray. We get to talk to him. So just think that through. I bet you've hit these at different times. Is your praying just what you do? Just a routine? I know I should. God may or may not do anything. Is it, you're not going to fool me, keeping it at a distance? I don't want to be tricked. I don't want to be hurt. Or is it this just say the word prayer? Just say the word prayer. I'll leave you with this one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
So what I want to do is give us, on these 21 days of prayer, I've been stopping a little early, not so you can get to lunch faster, but so we can pray. So we can pray. So I want to, again, take some moments to pray through this room. Uh, I don't know, if you there is some urgent and deep prayer requests on the wall. And at home, even if you can't see it at home, you have urgent and deep prayer requests from people in your life. So I want to make sure these get prayed over. I mean, there are some, I've, I've read a lot of them. I haven't read all of them. They need to be prayed for. There are some urgent things. And maybe you have some more urgent ones you want to add. And at home, maybe you're making a list of, of things you want to pray for. And to pray with faith. And to pray to the one who just has to say the word. Just has to think it. And it can happen. So let's take, I, would, I want you during this time, you can pray where you are. You can get up and pray. You can add to the wall. You can go up. Just as many as possible. Let's pray over these things. At home, start praying. And even asking God to increase your faith. Like, help me. It's so easy to doubt. It's so easy to be uh, let down and hurt and fearful. And So let's just take some time to pray in this room. Pray those urgent prayers of faith. And then Pastor Mark will lead us in some songs. I think we're ending with one that's called Do It Again. We know in the past you've answered some amazing prayers. But we want you to do it again. So, and I may interrupt in the middle too uh, with some more group prayers. But let's just take some time to pray and move around this room. Lord Jesus, let us be that third group. People who just come to you in absolute humility. We're not worthy for you to answer our prayer. But we know that you absolutely can. With a word. With a thought. That you can answer. Give us the prayer that you talked about in Mark 11. Where we say, faith, move this mountain, it'll move. Lord, I know I can even be afraid to think those things. So would you do it, Lord? Would you deepen our prayer? Deepen our trust in you? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So why don't you just go ahead, please get up and move.